HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is proudly brought to you by Culture City, a for-purpose organization that provides a place of acceptance and support for all autism families. For more information, visit culturecity.org. I'm Linda Palaccio, host of A Taste of the Past. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. This is Trevor, and this is Greenhorns Radio, radio for young farmers by young farmers, coming to you today live from Oakland, where I'm meeting with our wonderful lawyers of the Agrarian Trust in Oakland at the Sustainable Economies Law Center. Super beautiful. And I'm joined on the show today by Dwayne Hyde, who is in southern New Hampshire. Welcome to the show, Dwayne. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you for your patience with us. And thank you for your work in conservation. I am hoping that today's show we can focus on increasing the literacy within the young farmers community about the, the skills and tools of conservation, um, and also a little bit about the kind of attitude, approach, and expectation that young farmers could have as they consider engaging with the conservation community for land access, if that's okay Great. with you. So let's start right away with um, just an introduction of yourself and the work that you do and the region that you do it in. Sure. I, I work for a regional land trust uh, that covers the seacoast region of New Hampshire. Uh, many of you may not realize that New Hampshire actually has a seacoast. <laughs> it's quite small, but uh, we're about a 52 to 54-town region, and uh, the name of the organization is the Southeast Land Trust of New Hampshire, also known as SELT. And our organization is a generalist land trust, meaning we cover all sorts of conservation priorities ranging from wildlife, habitat, forestry resources, outdoor recreation. But uh, one of our, our primary missions is also providing, ensuring that we can provide fresh food to our region uh, through conservation of important farmlands. So will you mind giving a little bit of the history of wildland conservation and or kind of more wilderness conservation compared to farmland conservation and how the kind of procedures differ? 
Oh yeah, um, they vary uh, quite a bit. I my 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 background actually, I've I've been doing land conservation for uh, about 15 years, and uh, for 13 of those years, I worked for the Nature Conservancy, an international land conservation organization. With, and I did a lot of large forest land projects and wilderness type, pro, uh, not wilderness, but natural area type projects, and and those have a, a perfectly good place and are, are good projects, but they are quite a bit different uh, in their goals and purposes versus an agricultural conservation project, where your goals in an agricultural project typically are making sure that the agricultural soils are protected and remain viable for agriculture and that the farmer can continue to economically farm the land uh, and and use the, the resources. So there may be natural resource protection components to a farmland easement. Uh, it's not a an either-or situation, but with a true agricultural easement, your goals are maintaining the viability of that farm and protecting the farmland resources. So we just recently had a national gathering. It's called the Land Trust Alliance Rally. It's the kind of mm -hmm. largest, in my understanding, collection or coalition or conference of land trust professionals from around the country. Um, would you help the young farmer audience that we have understand kind of where farmland protection and particularly agricultural and local food sovereignty-oriented conservation sits within that broader conservation community and maybe a sense of how much work there is to do to, um, to bring a bigger team uh, to bear to the project that we're all interested in, which is farming on that land. Sure, sure. And and it's very hard to speak for such a large and diverse community of thousands of land trusts across the country. So I would encourage your audience to to drill down and look into the land trusts that are operating in the area you may be interested in farming or you are farming in. Uh, every land trust has its own mission and its own purposes. Uh, some land trusts, frankly, may not be compatible with agriculture cultural land conservation, that may not be part of their mission and their goals. They may be uh, only focused on wilderness issues, for instance. There is a, a land trust that operates in our region called the Northeast Wilderness Trust, and they don't do agricultural projects because that's not their purpose. Uh, so much like a marriage, you're trying to find the right organization or the right person to work with on, on agricultural projects. And I, I have seen in my, my time in the land conservation community, particularly probably in the last five years or so, a pretty large shift in uh, the land trust community wanting to focus more on uh, agricultural land conservation and farm viability. Uh, in our region uh, here in New Hampshire, the local food movement is very, very strong uh, and very active. 
and uh, we we saw that need. Our organization always did farmland conservation, but in a recent strategic plan that we adopted in late 2013, we wanted to redouble our efforts and really focus hard on farmland conservation and viability issues. And I'm seeing that across land trusts in our in our state and in Massachusetts and Maine, also in our region. So the process of engagement um, was one thing we wanted to kind of talk about. So identifying a land trust that might be an interested party to either facilitate a land purchase, buy a conservation easement from a farmer who wants to sell it, constrain a land that's in transition as part of a contract sale um, Mm -hmm. with deed restrictions that makes the price lower. All of these are kind of the general paths that are being taken by especially entering young farmers trying to to use land conservation as a way to make farmland more affordable. Mm -hmm. Um, Can you reflect a little bit on, you know, how long that usually takes? What are the, like, appropriate ways to act with conservationists? What are conservationists like, and and how do they like to work? (laughs) Sure. Oh, boy, there's a lot in there, so you may have to follow up with me uh, on answering your questions, all of those questions. But I think uh, one of the first steps uh, in New Hampshire, for instance, we have uh, the New Hampshire Land Trust Coalition, which has – so finding the right land trust is, is one way to do that is to use the Internet and look up the land, uh, land trust coalition for your state. Mo- a lot of the states, at least in the Northeast, have these coalitions where the land trusts are, have gotten together and they make a, uh, they have an organization that people can turn to to help landowners find the right land trust for them uh, that specialize, say, in agricultural work and work in that region. So to find that right organization, that's a good first place to stop, start is looking at your, your land trust coalition for your state the um, the process of of, of finding uh, of working with a, a land trust a lot depends on the expectations of the landowner or the farmer uh, in most cases my experience has been uh, farmers typically do not have a large quantity of cash that they're sitting on that they can spend spend on acquiring farmland uh, it's much quite the opposite that they are looking to uh, to land conservation as a way to help them acquire land at a, at a more affordable rate. So when that's the case, uh, which is almost all the time, we are we the land trust and working with the farmer are put in a position where we have to find that money. We've got to find the money to be able to afford to pay the landowner for the conservation easement. And uh, the amount of time that takes depends on the amount of money and the funding avail uh, that they're looking for and the funding that's available. The program that we use most often uh, in our region is a national program through the Natural Resources Conservation Service called the Agricultural Land Easement Program. And uh, my experience with that program from start to finish uh, can take as long as two years to complete, so it's not terribly fast. Uh, We can sometimes get it done within a year 
to a year and a half, but uh, it's a federal program, and anyone that's worked with federal programs before knows that they do not move extremely quickly, uh, but we do our best to to move them as fast and expeditiously as possible, but we can only do what we can do. So I think um, that's one of the first good questions I would get from uh, a, a young farmer or any farmer wanting to work with us is, how long, how quickly can you move? And how, uh, what, we want to know their timing, they want to know our timing, so that we know whether we have a, a, a possible chance to work with this person. Now, we can get creative. Uh, I've done some fairly creative farm projects that are somewhat unique uh, to, get, to, get, to get the land farmed. So that's the other thing to look for is the, how creative is this land trust and this person you're working with? Do they have lots of ideas? Do they, they seem really interested in working with you and, and protecting that farmland and, and getting you uh, onto the land farming that property? So, uh, I, you know, treat it almost like a job interview uh, of, of getting to know that land trust and making sure you're comfortable with them. So you're saying stuff like getting onto the land kind of faster. Um, one of the one of the models that's been really successful in the our Greenhorns home region in the Adirondacks has been actually with a formerly conservation oriented group doing these lease to own deals, essentially mm-hmm. allowing the young farmers to start leasing and be like uh, basically paying towards purchase over a really long period of time so that essentially the land trust is a little bit acting like the bank or the mother or father like on a contract sale, which is a typical way that farm families pass forward land is through a contract sale. Uh, But all this transaction time and meeting and talking and business planning and financing, that that's kind of uh, shortened uh, because... Um, well, in the interest of farm viability, uh, people need to keep growing and keep cash flowing, and they want to start building infrastructure, um, you know, sooner the better. Yeah, yeah, and those those leaseback, uh, we are about to do one of our first uh, projects. It's it's in the works where we are going to be acquiring a farm and looking to have a long-term lease uh, with a farmer uh, for the land and so that they can put equity into that property. And we have a, a location for farm, farmer housing on the property. So that's definitely a model we're looking at doing more and more of. Uh, and there are other land trusts doing that work. I'm not, I, I, I haven't actually done it, although I'm interested in it. I've been talking to some other land trusts that are doing similar work. Vermont Land Trust, which you may have heard of, uh, is an extremely successful and large land trust in Vermont, and they do a fair amount of that model of owning farms and leasing them back to farmers so that um, it, it shortens the window for the farmer. Now, of course, the land trust, it doesn't shorten their window. They still have to go through the whole process of being able to acquire the farm and, and come up with the money. But once they've acquired it, the, the leaseback process is a lot quicker for the farmer. Uh, the the one thing I just is worth noting, it's probably less, maybe a little less of a concern for your audience, but one of the complications 
we have uh, for our funding model of relying upon that NRCS agricultural land easement program is that we are not eligible recipients of the funding for that, so it can only be used for private landowners. So us acquiring farm, it becomes very complicated for us to acquire a farm uh, subject to those uh, NRCS easements, uh, using them to fund the acquisition. Got it. So there's work to be done in shifting the way that the federal programs are operating as these new models are emerging. And as we're trying to kind of find a solution that works on the ground, we're going to probably have to start asking to retool some of the programs. Exactly, exactly. And then there's another model, another program that we're we're trying to uh, to initiate in our, our region, and actually the first in the New Hampshire was recently completed by another uh, uh, fellow land trust, and that's the option to purchase that agricultural value model, which basically adds another restriction to the land that basically requires that the land be sold at its and the and the infrastructure be sold at its agricultural value. Uh, or the land trust, if it isn't, the land, uh, land trust has the option to buy it at its agricultural value and then resell it or lease it. Uh, because we in the land trust community are recognizing that the mere placement of a conservation easement on the property, one, doesn't guarantee that the land remains in, actively farmed. Uh, somebody could acquire the farm and decide not to farm it. Uh, and two, doesn't necessarily mean the land is going to remain affordable for farmers, uh, particularly in areas experiencing high development pressures or high net worth. We have horse farmers or uh, stables and wineries and that type of uh, uh, or, or estate buyers uh, purchasing a property that and outcompeting the young farmers and the traditional farmers in the area for the, the land and jacking the price up beyond their affordability. It was fascinating. I was at a meeting with a, uh, a land trust uh, that's based in Long Island, and their eased land, land that is subject to a conservation easement and as a farm, the value of the land after the easement was over $20,000 an acre, which is just oh my God. Incre- incredible compared to what we, when we see eased land in our region, that's agri- really good agricultural land, it's more in the range of two to $3,000 an acre. <laughs> so that gives you a, a sense of the magnitude of difference. Uh, and that's once again, because Long Island has a lot of high net worth individuals who want to live on big palatial estate land. They have no interest in farming it, uh, and they're buying these eased lands, uh, the wealthy people. So we're, so there's a couple of other models I'd love to talk about, but I think it would be a useful thing to just kind of zoom out here for a moment to look at big picture and mm-hmm. recognize that um, – you know, in the United States, we are really into freedom and we're really into allowing uh, uh, the rules of the market to just determine the price of, of goods in the market. Um, mm-hmm. But that, in, when that comes to farmland, it, it's almost like it's not acknowledging the constraints that we face of this uh, precious natural resource, and particularly in areas that are important for food security for the region. And I wonder if you could kind of give a little bit of big-picture reflection from a conservation perspective of, you know, how has conservation 
dealt with the scale of for, of nature conservation and wildlife preservation and, and preserving precious habitat for migrating birds, uh, wild, you know, wildlands corridors, et cetera. And, you know, and what kind of scale are we at in terms of protecting our food shed for for food production? Like, how, how far do we have to go, I guess, would be the question. I think we have a long ways to go. Uh, when you look at the loss of, of agricultural land, versus uh, the loss of, of, of uh, forest land, say, in our region, it's, it's lopsided. The, the first places to go uh, are, are, are valuable agricultural resource, uh, lands. They're f- generally flatter. They have deeper soils, so they're better perk for septic systems. They, they basically grow houses as well as they grow food. So uh, we, we in the land trust community, I th- in, in my opinion, ha- and, and our region, I can't speak nationally, uh, have focused a lot on, on wildlife habitat and waterfowl habitat and, all the, and wetlands habitat, which are all great things and things we should continue to focus on. But in the in the in the in the meantime, we've been losing uh, at a higher rate our valuable agricultural lands, and and we are losing that food security of being able to provide fresh food uh, to to our, the inhabitants of our region. So that's one of the reasons why our organization has really decided to redouble its efforts and focus very heavily on agricultural land conservation. So. Uh, I do once again see a good shift occurring and a recognition of, of by the land trust community that we need to be doing more in this regard, uh, and hopefully we're not too late. Um, hopefully we, we can be successful. I think one of the things we need uh, is there's a lot of funding available through programs for for forest land and habitat protection, and at least in our state, uh, the live free or die state here in New Hampshire, we do not have much for funding programs available for agricultural land conservation, and it's a recognized need. There was a recently a, a statewide report done on conservation in New Hampshire, and, and the lack of agricultural land uh, funding was, was highlighted. So, you know... Um on a, on, a, on a kind of farm policy level, you know, it feels like we're, or kind of culturally, we're still living in a world where we consider, we consider it like almost like 1840 or something, where, you know, it's a free market, people are buying land, people are developing land, we're, you know, we're subsidizing development and growth through a lot of these home mortgage subsidy programs. You know, towns need to improve their tax base, so there's a planning and local zoning incentive to get more houses to pay for schools and infrastructure. And we're kind of raging along, eating up our farmland in a way that is, um, you know, ultimately kind of irresponsible in terms of the sustainability of our region for food production. Um, But it's kind of a similar situation to the young farmer situation. So, you know, USDA, for instance, acknowledged that we need 100,000 new farmers, and that became a, a explicit goal of the USDA and of, of Secretary Vilsack during his tenure as, as Ag Secretary was to set up programs and recruit new growers, um, given the lack of new growers in the marketplace. And uh, they have started a program, which is 
federally funded, the Beginning Farmer and Rancher Program, which just got announced, which is about $18 million a year, is now super highly competitive. And uh, basically programs around the country are starting incubator farms and training programs, getting us all, you know, flapping our wings as young young chicks in agriculture and, and becoming bigger chicks and then becoming swans. And, but then there is a similar crisis on, that's on a you know, similar scale and, and even a bigger scale, which is the farmland transition, and that we have about 70% of farmland transitioning ownership in the next two decades. And in the way that we lack infrastructure to train and deploy and support and lend to beginning farmers, we similarly you know, lack the infrastructure, farm service providers, farmland conservation funds, tax advice, and, uh, you know, the kind of bodies on the ground that it takes to, to perform the action required to keep this farmland in family farmland and, and in farmer ownership. Um, and I just wonder, you know, at this conference or other meetings that you're a part of with other conservationists, are people feeling like feeling frustrated enough by how complex and slow moving it is to be operating on this farm by farm basis when the scale of the problem is so massive and when the terms of engagement are you know pretty limiting yeah yeah and i think I think those of us in the land conservation field generally are optimists that we feel like. Yeah, I mean, if we if we went to work every day feeling like we were putting our our finger in a dike and uh, water was pouring all around us, it wouldn't be a very exciting job. <laughs> It'd be kind of depressing. So I think we understand the challenges of being are huge, uh, but I think with with the many organizations working and the tide being turning that we we feel like we can make a difference and uh we are gonna uh you know we're 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 hoping that we can succeed whether we will or not we won't know the future will tell us that so i guess i i guess i would just say i'm i'm an eternal optimist and i i think but i'm not pollyanna uh but i i feel like if we if we don't try we won't succeed and and hearkening back to your your this is a little off topic but it was a point i wanted to make about uh the land trust community and and uh and farmland conservation is uh one of the things i think you'll you you'll see very often is a lot of folks background in the land trust community is not farming mine is not farming i didn't grow up on a farm i haven't i haven't farmed i used to work for a farmer but i didn't actually do farming uh, but one thing we're doing in our organization, and I'm seeing more, is, is hiring people who have an agricultural background. Uh, the general, my most recent hire uh, grew up on a family dairy farm, still has uh, roots to his family's dairy farm, and worked at the Natural Resources Conservation Service so that we, we have people on staff who understand farming and can can talk to farmers and, and understand the difficulties they face and the, the, the issues they're facing. Uh, and, uh, and I think that's an important step because I think organizations need to, uh, to have that level of understanding uh, about the work that you all do. 
Well, and what I'm eager to figure out is how we as young farmers can contribute to the project of bringing more more mojo into the whole sector and raising the issue as loudly as we can and recognizing that our farmland is a shared responsibility and it is a public trust and it is an issue of national and regional security and mm-hmm. that um, we have to scale up the level of action in this in this area yep. and champion your work as really crucial exploration of the tactics and transactional methods um, and, you know, basically try and build build as much momentum as possible and raise a ruckus maybe if needed. Because <laughs> I, I, I think you hit it right on. Uh, I, I can't agree with you more. Okay, so we have our work cut out for us, everyone. Uh, clamoring for land. Uh, those those of us with skills and excitement to become the next generation of food providers um, start practicing your practicing your pitch to your customers yep. and friends and family because um, yep, and I, we're gonna we're gonna have to start getting a little more political. And and I look forward to working with any of the young farmers out there in in our region who I've already met many and we uh we try to also match young farmers with land because uh, we're often meeting with a lot of landowners and that's another th- service that a land trust can can provide is helping uh helping young farmers find available farmland whether it's conserved or not and even a little lease as a leg up yep <laughs> well thank you so much for being available for this and thank you all for listening We are Greenhorns Radio, radio for young farmers, by young farmers, every Tuesday. And the upcoming events are many. You can find them on the Greenhorns mailing list. There's especially uh, an Ojai Grange event on Monday. That is a butterfly workshop. Um, And then a bunch of events in Southern California this winter. Um, A bunch of farm conferences on the East Coast. Northeast Sustainable Ag Working Group Conference, uh, Moses, uh, Kivira. This is con- this is conferences, and there are Greenhorns going out to a bunch of conferences. If you haven't already applied for your scholarships, I really recommend you go do it. Okay, everyone, thanks so much. Bye bye. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.